Let's go ahead and get going here. We're going to look at Matthew 20 this morning. And, I, you know, there's so much. Oh, my goodness, there's so much, and I have so little time. Um, we've been looking in the last couple of weeks out of the, the text, out of Matthew 18, and now we're in Matthew 20. And there are two different systems. You know, remember, Jesus is revealing the nature of the kingdom of God. And recalling in our minds that Jesus' friends are stoked about a kingdom. And yet he's continuing to say, I need to give you an imagination for what that kingdom looks like because you're imagining something different. You're imagining a, a, an earthly leadership that will come with sacred violence and overthrow the powers that be around you. Uh, you're imagining a kingdom where... Uh, that the, where those who cause systemic oppression would be removed, and then you're also imagining it in a way in which you're going to you're you're counting your own merit on the things that you have done. So uh, Jesus in Matthew 18 says this kingdom actually isn't like that. It's it's not based in debt, and so. He talks about the issue of forgiveness, that the kingdom, very nature of the kingdom of God is forgiving. And he likens, interestingly, when he's talking about this issue of sin, he likens it to debt. So Jesus sees a world where freedom is what we have been intended to walk in. In Matthew 20, we're going to see Jesus talking about this whole idea of what God gives to us in his generosity. And the whole vision of God's kingdom, if we could get one picture in our brain, really the best picture of that is what, what, uh, what is described in Genesis 1 when God says that he created the garden and he put man and woman in that garden and he said that it's good. It was a good place. What God is about is restoring us to the place that is good. And I want to remind us this kingdom is not something that outdistances us. It is a reality of his presence and who he is. Okay? So the kingdom is about an actual presence of his good presence, of his leadership in our life. So he's, he's speaking with his friends and he's saying, okay, you've, you've been seeing the world in, on the basis of debt and as well as on merit. Now I want to tell you some different stories to help you see what the kingdom is about. Verse one of Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a, a denarii for the day, he sent them out into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, You also go into the vineyard, and I'll, and whatever is right, I will give you. That's worth underlining. And so they went out. Again, he went out in the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. 
So when the first, when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each received a denarii. When those hired the, the first, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarii. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have only worked equally only one hour, and you've made them equal to us and have that have borne the burden in the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, Friend, I, I, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you agree with me for denarii? Take what is yours and go. But I wish you to give to the last man the same as I, but if, if I wish to give to this last man the same as to you, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Listen to this part of the verse, verse 15. Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first last. The title I've given this message this morning is Generous Grace. That really is the power to become. Um, this last week, I had the privilege of having my daughter take me to lunch. Whoop, whoop. Like she, was, she paid for lunch. Good job, honey. Um, now, the result, it was a result of an unfortunate car issue that she had experienced. She called me late, like Friday night, the car isn't running. And so um, she left it there, and a friend's got her. And I, you know, anyway, we got this car situation remedied on Saturday. We returned the car back to Upland. Thankfully, it looks like everything's just fine. So it's about noon. And she said, Do you want to go to lunch? I'm like, yeah, you're going to buy me lunch? Yes. So I should mention that the regular dining hall at the campus at Taylor University, who a couple of friends went, uh, no, I don't, did you guys go to that dining hall? Oh, yes, you date back to that dining hall. Anyways, it was, th this thing's been shut down and it's being renovated. So uh, we hop back in the car and so I'm asking her, where do we head to? Because now they've carved out a space in the science building. That's where you can go eat, in the science building, or in the student union. And she said, Dad, go to the stew. I've learned that means student union. So um, we headed over there, parked, head, head on in, and what we discovered at 1230 on Saturday afternoon, there's only one option available at the student union. And I'm thinking, should be you know, at least more than one open, but there's only one that was open. But thankfully, it's Chick-fil-A. All is well. So uh, now that makes it easy, except that, you know, again, a large portion of the student body is attempting to grab lunch at the same hour. So we're standing in line to get, you know, she said, Do, what would you like, Dad? I said, you know, I really don't need much. We can split something. So she said, I got it. I'll get it. So we stand and walk through the line. Now we have to go to check out. Now, um, here's what's interesting. A large portion of the student body is getting lunch, and they only have one person checking people out. And, and so after we stood in line for the sandwich, did I mention I standing in line? Yeah. I, I've come by this thing, I need to openly admit, I'm not a fan of lines. And I came by that honestly from my father. So, but, you know, I'm thinking, hey, I'm having time with my daughter. Be patient, man. Be patient. Be patient. It's good. It's okay. So we go to the line, and I'm thinking, okay, we can dart that way. She said, no, Dad, the line's over there. Okay, thank you. You're right. We should be courteous. And I mean, I could act dumb and walk into the middle of the line, but 
my daughter corrected me. We go to the very back of the line, which is now in the main building. So we're standing in this line that curves around this pole. And, and so as the line comes around the pole, oh, by about this time, a second person comes to check people out. Now we have two lanes. And I'm thinking, we could just step over there. And I looked at my daughter and went, with my eyeballs, she said, Dad, no. Dad, no. So, right, you're right, honey. We should be courteous. We should be considerate. I should learn my lesson by standing in the line. And I'm standing in the line with her. We're visiting. As we're going through the line, uh, I should mention, as we got into the line, which, did I tell you it was really long? Right, yeah. Really long line. There's, some, there's a dude and a dudette who come into the little market on the side over here. And they walk into the market and, uh, to get something that they're just going to grab really quickly for lunch. After we had stood and waited in the line, they stepped into the second line. And I said to my daughter, I didn't say anything, I just went. She said, should I say something? She said, Dad, it's, it's fine. To which I let out a, a slight sigh of disgust. <sighs> Waited at, waiting my time out in line. Now, before I know it, there's other people that have lined up, and the dude is checked out before we're even to the checkout thing. Now, here's what's interesting. We're at Taylor University, which is I, I understand to be a Christian university. Shouldn't they have known better? And, and, and so everybody's supposed to be oozing with consideration and the love of Jesus. But the truth is, I wasn't exactly oozing at that moment, right? <clears throat> Because something in me instinctively says, that's not fair. Now, I was kind of willing to, earlier, to check into the line, but that's another issue. So, now I've got this little passion now that I stood in line, something isn't just, something isn't fair. And those guys are getting through the line, and they're not getting what they deserve. They deserve to wait in line just like me. Getting what we deserve, or other people, quote, getting what they deserve, a two-year-old gets this, right? And it's, here's what that is. That whole fairness thing is what I want to call the merit system. And we're all indoctrinated in it. One person says, one of the ways that we think about this word merit is we use the word justice but we, we dress it up with nice clothes, okay? So we take our word fairness and we dress it up nicely and say, we call it justice. We dress it up when in what in, in reality is is that we, we just have jealousy going on inside of us and, and we use it as a weapon to limit our own generosity toward others or to feel offense. Ay, 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 this stuff, it, it just gets us coming and going. In our text, Jesus, remember, he's working with his friends who, ah, they want to see the kingdom of God. Hallelujah, Messiah, bring the kingdom of God. It looks like that. And Jesus said, oh, no, 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 I need to turn your head to see that it, that's not it. It's about mercy. And now... He tells this story that this kingdom is not only 
about mercy, but it's not based in merit of what people deserve or don't deserve. It's a kingdom based in the generous heart of a father whose loving kindness gives at his expense not what we deserve, but what we need. That's called grace. That's actually good news. But it's a reversal. It's a turning of the head. Because why? Generous grace trumps what's fair. I wish I could find another word than trump. But anyway, you get my point. Generous grace, it outdoes fairness or our merit system. In the story, if we're honest, it doesn't make any sense because to our sense of fairness, we want to say, wait a minute, that's not fair. Jesus says, "Um, by the way, I'm not just talking about fairness, I'm talking about the kingdom of God, where God dwells, where I'm inviting you to dwell, the good place that I'm restoring you to. And so, In our brains, there's part of us that goes, wait a minute, what about fairness, Jesus? Now here's, let's just make sure that we acknowledge this. Fairness has its place. It does give a sense of order to our life, predictability, even a hierarchy. Um, I mean, sometimes it's, it's, it's good to give a reward for something that's done well, okay, a reward for meritous things. Other times there might be a punishment for bad decisions, like running a red light, um, enough times that you get caught and find out that it costs $187.50. Don't ask me why I know that. Fairness is based in what we deserve because of how we work, how we achieve, how we behave or misbehaved. That's the merit system. Now, there is some reality to that's the world that we're living in, right? But when we use that as a template to understand God and his kingdom, it doesn't work. Because his grace does something different with our ideas about human fairness. Every time. And Jesus is saying, guys, I know you think, you know what the kingdom looks like. I'm trying to. Turn your heads. It's not based in in, in this system of debt that you're accumulating. It's it's in mercy. And it's, by the way, it's not based in your merit systems, but the loving kindness of God revealed in his generous grace. It's a reversal. Generosity ignores systems of merit because something else is at play. The grace of God. The person who's paid and works for one hour is paid the same as the one who worked for 12. Not because Jesus is trying to trick them and offend them, but because he's revealing the Father is giving what they need at his expense, not what they earned. That's worth remembering. See, for the person who's worked 12 hours, like the older brother in one of Jesus' other parables, that bears this sense like, look what I've done. 
See, they're living their life still based, their value based on their merit. And Jesus is saying, um, by the way, I'd like to just address that. So here Jesus is telling this story that really looks like, how did those, how did that go for a while? Uh, the, the, uh, the little kids' sports leagues where everybody got a, got a ribbon? Okay, no score. Everybody gets a trophy. No, that's, this is the grace of God. This is the lavish goodness of God. So, so watch this. Matthew 18, uh, we've, we've got this issue of uh, legal debt. And Jesus says, here's mercy. In Matthew 20, we've got merit. Jesus is saying, hey, let me show you about grace. So you've got merit and grace. Or, or, or watch, could I say, especially in Matthew 20, when we're thinking about merit versus grace, religion or the gospel. In the merit system, which I've lived in, I base my relationship in God on how well I thought I was doing. I'm convinced that my relationship with God, my forgiveness, my security, my belonging, my significance with God was based on what I've done or not done. That's called religion. Grace proclaims God has chosen to relate to you not on the basis of what you've done or not done, but on the basis of what he did. That is the gospel. That's grace. He came to invade the darkness of our life, and to proclaim light, life, order, beauty. So you've got Jesus in Matthew 18 saying, here's mercy over debt. Here's freedom. Oh, by the way, the way that powers and authorities have taken that, those types of thinking, that religious thinking, and it's actually translated itself into systems that we can actually see in front of us? Well, in Jesus' day, there were things like slavery and Roman oppression. And Jesus is saying, I'm actually interested in people living free. He cares about that. That's actually a value system of the kingdom. Matthew 20, you've got this merit system in which people matter if they've got something to contribute. And Jesus said, I'm trying to show you something. It's not based on what you've brought. Imagine a world, seeing a world where, where the systems of human debt or merit are not the basis of which God is relating to people, but a world defined by mercy and by grace, by his heart, by what he's paid for and what love has supplied. This is the kingdom of God, beloved. So Jesus says this kingdom's different. It's, it's not a place where people get what they deserve. Rather, it's a place where God is giving freely at his expense what people need. As long as we think or perceive of people around us getting what they deserve. Man, I could translate that in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, you fill in the blank there. If, if we think in those terms, we don't understand the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Now, I woke up from a dream. Uh, I, I have dreams frequently. 
but, but this week I woke up from a very vivid dream, and uh, it was earlier in the week, and I was like, boom, man, that's, there's something to this. So I was, uh, I was asked to speak at a larger congregation that I've spoke at before, and I, I remember it, and they're meeting in a building I'm not familiar with, it's an older building, and, and I'm trying to make my way somewhere near the front, and I'm running into other individuals asking them, how do I get there? And, and somewhere along the way, I realize I don't have my notes. I've had those kind of dreams before. That's about my insecurity that comes up, like, you know, do I? Uh... So I'm looking for my notes. But interestingly, I'm calm, and I'm at peace. And, and so somewhere before I even get up to where I'm supposed to be speaking from, I, I, I have a mic in my hand. And now I'm supposed to begin speaking, and what comes out of me was curious. This is why it was one I felt like was noteworthy, because what came out of me was John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And as many as received him, verse 13, he gave them the right to become children of God, not born by their own human will or, or, or another person's decision, but by God's decision. So this reality that God has always intended that something would come into being, that, that you know, here John proclaims that God comes and takes on humanity, something that was not there came into being. It's a word that's in reference to what actually happened in Genesis 1 when there was darkness and chaos. God said, let there be light. That's a direct reflection of what John is speaking to in John 1, that God comes in the flesh to actually restore and bring light, life, order, and beauty back to mankind. It is a powerful proclamation. And what he says about us is that there's something that he has given to us, this right to come into being, the reality of what it means to actually know him. So I'm thinking about this power to become when I'm waking up like, whoa. It's not based in our systems of debt, Matthew 18, merit, Matthew 20. The work of God is to allow our humanity, consider this thought, to actually flourish in the presence of eternity in the present. The mercy and grace of God, that is called the kingdom of God. And beloved, that's what I believe Jesus was saying. Men and women, I need you to turn your heads. I need you to see a new vision. I want you to have a fresh imagination that the mercy and grace of God, it changes everything. It allows eternity to become visible in your human existence. The right to become, verse 13, in you, in me. So I'm pondering this. Lord, the generous grace of of God, the power to become. What does that mean? As I think about these words in Matthew 20, as well as a little bit of Matthew 18, a couple of things. One is this. Performance is not the issue, but rather participating with God. So, the landowner comes and says, hey, come and work for me. So uh, consider this thought. The landowner was never about profit. Not a very good 
manager, if he's going to pay the dude who's just there for a little while, the same as the guy who started at the beginning of the day, but he's, he's not about profit. He's about participating. He's about meeting the need of the worker. Or I could say it this way. Their worth to him was not based in their accomplishment or their behavior or even their failure, but their participation. This merit thing gets us, guys. It's hard. The goal of the landowner is participating in his generosity. And so here's what I began to, I was thinking about, waking up from this dream and I'm begin to think about it, ponder it, and then I'm thinking about this text, this radical invitation to rethink my life. And what, you know, what I've classically called the, the disciplines of the Christian life or, or what Jesus calls the acts of righteousness in Matthew 5 and 6, he intends that we walk in them, but the, that we no longer see them in a merit system. I'm not praying to earn points. I'm not giving to earn points. I'm participating in the grace of God. And it changes everything. Because, you know, here's the deal. You've got this, you remember the other, one of the other parables, the parable of the prodigal, you've got the older brother who's sitting there saying, I've done all of this. What did it earn me? Well, it was never about what you earned. You see, and, and there, there's times this merit thing can get us in the head hard. I, I've got a, a friend I sat with and had coffee with here a couple of weeks back, worked for 35 years in ministry, uh, caring for thousands of individuals, retired. I said, how you doing? He said, I feel like I don't matter. I said, great honesty. Because here's what happens to us when we get engaged in ministry sometimes. We begin to base, we, we're, we become convinced of our own press release that our merit is based on what we're doing. Or, here's the other side of it, when we hit a difficult place and we're like, what good was all that stuff I did for God? It was never about that. This is about participating with Him. It's, it's about actually engaging in humanity as God intended. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to give credit to um, uh, a friend of mine, Ethan's dad, Ben, another Ben, Ben Sternkey, but he wrote about this. Um, listen, listen to this statement. Righteousness is not a performance of conformity to an outwardly imposed arbitrary rules that brings about an external or meritorious reward. It's not a demonstration that I can follow the instructions and get a cookie for doing so. Righteousness is how we live into our redeemed humanity fully. It's participation. So listen, the rewards we experience for doing so are inherent to the way of life. So the goodness we experience from living a righteous life is a natural byproduct of the life itself rather than an external reward for following the rules. Righteousness is not an individual performance so that I'll get that external reward. It's a communal participation in a life so rich and good that it is its own reward. Flourishing as a human being, 
Guys, I've been busy. There have been seasons of my life I've been incredibly busy. And yet my heart has not flourished. And I could tell you story after story. Why do we have these comments that we're okay with when we talk about leaders in, in ministry and they just need a break so they can flourish? Wait a minute. What are we saying? Maybe we need to rethink how we're living. All right, is everybody hearing what I'm trying to say right now? So, Lord, I want to flourish. I want to participate with you. So, that means, what is that way? Jesus is saying, okay, guys, I'm turning your gaze a different way, and it's the way of the cross. And in the way of the cross, that power to become, it begins to create a space for new life. Now, we talked about that last week, that mercy and forgiveness creates space. When, when I embrace the grace of God and his generosity, it creates space for new life. How is that? Well, I mean, I can even get Bible verses, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. There's an inherent goodness because it's connected with the goodness of living a good life in the presence of a good God. Grace reveals the goodness of God. Man's merit reveals man's effort. So, to surrender to grace is to surrender to the power to become. So, what that reveals, can I proclaim this in the name of Jesus over you and me? There is more to you and who you are than what you have done or left undone. Amen? So, in a world that is based in debt and merit. Oh, wait a minute. You don't even have to go to church to know that's how people relate to each other, right? These are systems that are present in humanity. Jesus said, turn, turn, turn this way. Mercy and grace is the good way. He's shown you, a man, what is good. To do justice and to love mercy. To walk humbly with God. To embrace mercy, grace. That power to become is revealed in what we might call the subversive way of the cross, where I'm surrendering my life, where I'm, I'm agreeing the last becomes the first. How does this work? Well, that in mercy, in grace, we're embracing his heart. And so I begin to embrace the real practices. In, in mercy, I'm releasing debt. And I'm living from the place of forgiveness. In grace, I'm embracing generosity and humility and gratitude as the place that I'm most alive. That I can begin the day. It's not just, it's not just juju to get up in the day and to say, Lord, I thank you that I can open my eyes this morning. I give you thanks. I want to join my heart with your generous heart. So another way of saying this is we don't follow Jesus because we're to the cross because we're masochists. We do so because we can see in the life of Jesus that it's actually the only true way to live. That's what he's saying. Turn your gaze over here. This is where you're actually alive. So... Things begin to change. We begin to say, 
I'm thankful. But not because, as I've often heard this paraphrase, people's paraphrase of the gospel, woo, I'm really glad that God got me out of the pickle and I'm not going to hell. Okay? What if I become thankful because I'm enthralled by love that caused him to die for me and desire to be filled with that same love, even if it leads to suffering or death, because I'm coming to see that love is stronger than death. And, and, and it makes me desire that with all of my heart. That's the subversive way of the cross, beloved. And, and the words I would give to it, gratitude, generosity, humility. It's how the kingdom operates. And it begins with that choice. Um, I, I encourage you guys to take note of verse 15. Um, is your eye envious because I'm generous? Beloved, part of the wrestle embracing what Jesus tells us in this story makes us uncomfortable because it feels unfair on some levels. But Lord, can I surrender to the magnitude of the Father's heart toward me? Can I? And how do I do that? Here's the word I want to encourage you with. Verse 4 when, when the master said, you go in the vineyard, whatever's right, I will give you. Underline that. Whatever's right, I will give you. Lord, I'm going to trust that whatever's right, you will give me. Based in your goodness. Not in my merit. Not in the debt that I think I've got or how I'm trying to figure that out. But that you have given it to me in your love toward me. So the power to become something different is surrendering to that reality. Lord, you're going to give me what's right. So I don't need to compare myself with other people. No, I don't. I don't have to figure out who deserves what. We can let go of comparison, competition, judgment, what other people deserve, what they don't deserve. Here's a secret. In God's economy, there's enough for everybody. So when we start hearing the subtext, not just theologically, but culturally, of scarcity, I have to keep those people away to hold on to my stuff. You're probably not in the place of grace. Okay? Because in God's economy, there's enough. Jesus is revealing a kingdom. He's, he's saying, turn your heads. It's not based in debt. It's not based in merit. But it's in the generous heart of the Father whose loving kindness gave us at his own expense. Not what we deserve, but what we need. Whatever's right, I will give you. Beloved, that's good news. That's the generous grace of God. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage us this morning to close in this prayer. Um, 
I noticed a typo, by the way, on the very last line. It says, made known. So just so you know that. Would you guys go ahead and stand up together? And let's, let's pray this prayer together that will lead us to the table. If you're on the call and you have something to share, communion together with us, I encourage you to grab a hold of that. But let's pray this prayer together. Oh God, from your providing hand, even the dissatisfied and grumbling receive what they need for their lives. Teach us your ways of justice and lead us to practice your generosity so that we may live a life worthy of the gospel made known through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen and amen.